And the fun part about it is because of people like what you guys are doing and all the different publications and stuff out there. I mean, you can subscribe to every publication. Funeral service costs you probably 500 bucks a year. But I mean, it's for everything. You know, the, you read Creedy's book and you read Jake Johnson's book and all that stuff is out there. There's more webinars today than ever before. I mean, I watched one earlier this afternoon, even though it's not stuff that even means that much to me, but it makes me more knowledgeable if I am talking to somebody who wants to know about that or has any feelings about that. But, um, you know, I'm not going to need a, it was about your recommendations you send out and all that kind of stuff, the follow-ups and, and that. I'm not going to need that, but I mean, at least I know about it. And there's more of that today than ever before. We've got the tools. Use them to your advantage and see if they work. Welcome to the Direct Cremation Podcast with your hosts, Tyler Yamasaki and Will DeMichaelis. Hi, thank you for joining us on the Direct Cremation Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Yamasaki, CEO of Parting Pro. And as always, I'm here with my co-host, Will DeMichaelis, former manager of the Omega Society, a cremation brand that serves over 4,500 families per year. So if you could dream up a list of professional death care accomplishments, today's guest has probably exceeded your list. From living above the funeral home until age 21, to then starting, growing, and eventually selling one of the largest cremation societies in the world, in Cremation Society of Minnesota, and mixing in being a past president of the Cremation Association of North America and Funeral and Memorial Information Council, he has done it all. And from speaking with him, he's still hungry for more. Please welcome today's guest, Kevin Waterston. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you for being on the podcast. That's about it. That's about it. Not that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just a few small things there. Um, I actually think we can probably spend an entire episode on each small part of your life because I think a lot of them are pretty exceptional and there's probably a lot that goes into it. But why don't we just kind of start from the beginning? Because I think the way, at least from what I know, that you've approached building the Cremation Society of Minnesota was super interesting. Basically, we started the Cremation Society with our back up against the wall. We had a small funeral home in South Minneapolis, very much like, you know, hundreds and thousands of small funeral homes all around the country. And um, we had a, uh, my brother and myself were going into it. And this is about the late seventies to early eighties. I graduated in like 81. He graduated in probably like 76, went in the military though for a while. And then we were sitting there, my dad and myself and my parents were living, but they were taking extended vacations at that point and leaving the business to run to us, which worked out fine. But we just realized we need, we need to do something. We rented out motorhomes. We uh, did all sorts of crazy stuff for, for making money at a point and saw that the cremation business on the West Coast, East Coast, you know, had has starting to grow and more people want just the direct cremation. We were really introduced to the direct cremation. Even we were, my father had a, was a member of what they called the Minnesota Funeral and Memorial Society. And um, that was a group of, of basically funeral haters, Funeral, funeral director haters, I should say, like lawyers and stuff like that, that, that wanted cheap cremation or a cheap immediate burial or something like that. And they had a system where you go in, you pay, you pay money to get their forms, and then you fill out the forms, you bring it to the funeral home, you're supposed to bring one to your doctor, you're supposed to bring one to your church. You know, they, they had so many forms on there to, to sign up with, you couldn't even read the last one because it was so faint you know, with the carbon paper in the middle. It was, it was just a crazy situation. So what we looked at, and in, in 1980 or 1979, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. and we So we didn't want to do anything while we knew that was, was happening. She died in June of 80, and really in the end of 1980s when we really kicked off the cremation society. But in the meantime, we did a lot of research. We went to California, the East Coast, the West Coast, California. We met Tom Weber, director of uh, Telephase Society, and saw what he did and and uh, took ideas from there, how they how they worked their whole system. Went up to um, Richard John Gordon's at Neptune Society up in Northern California and spent a few days with him and seen what he had up there. Ran to Manny Weintraub from, from Neptune Society in Southern California and, and see what they were doing. So we got to know a lot of these people like that. Went out to uh, fl- um, in Florida to see Les Dwyer from National Information Society. And that was even, that's when SCI had just bought that from guy's name was, his wife's name was Ruth. I can't remember what his name was, but anyhow, they'd bought the National Cremation Society and it was in its infancy, but it was, it was we wanted to see it and took ideas and, and kind of went along and, and looked at everything we could do and take it back home. In the meantime, we kind of had the time because we weren't really pursuing too much with my mother being sick. 
So we looked and tried to put it all together, try to form a way that we could be doing it better. So we looked at the way that they were getting memberships, for one. And uh, they'd virtually have a form. And ours was just a single-page form. We even use it to this day, just a single-page form saying all the vital statistics that they have. They want to be in, in, you know, on the bottom, you know, I understand authorized requests to cremation society of Minnesota cremate the remains of. They put their name there, you know, and then have it witnessed by somebody, preferably a next of kin if possible. And so they and they would send that in to us with a $15 registration fee, or they could prepay it if they want to. So we just came up with this really kind of a simple trifold brochure and uh, with this registration form and started, you know, people would call and send it out. We'd, we put a little, um, just a small ad in the, in the Minneapolis Star Tribune or the St. Paul newspaper, back when people used to really read the newspapers and stuff. And, and that small little ad, we'd get tons of little responses back. We would just take and, and put the brochure with the registration forms in there, throw them in the mailbox, and and uh, and lo and behold, you know, we didn't even keep track of you know like percent of what we got or or anything like that at all. We were just too busy just trying to trying to do it. And what was really fun is that it all started started snowballing, and we you know we would get them. And so one time we thought, let's just try to put a um, insert in the paper, kind of like what a like a target ad insert type thing. So not that big, with just a, a one a four page deal, you know, was eleven by seventeen fold and a half with our whole brochure, and then also the registration form was on that. And uh, we put that in the mail. We were in actually it was over a over like a, a holiday weekend, like a President's Day weekend or something. And we um, we were over to, in California at the time when it went in that Sunday's paper. We we used to go to all Ron Hass's um, shows in Tiburon, California. He'd have a he'd have a, a, a private get together with a bunch of funeral directors, and we were there. And and uh, it was over, like I said, the holiday weekend. So on on the Tuesday or Wednesday when we were flying home from that, I remember calling home from the airport saying, you know, what, what's going on? And they said, well, we've got about sixty of these responses back. And it just all of a sudden clicked, you know, we're, we're doing this thing. And, and this thing just really started moving much bigger than what we anticipated it to be. We thought it'd be a uh, hundred calls here, a hundred calls there type thing, but you know, it didn't grow, didn't know what it would grow up and to be the size of business it is. So, and we took it and, and, and one thing that we, that we really had to do, we had to look at it as a business, even though it was a, you know, we were doing a lot of service for people and, and, um, you know, try to figure out how do we get more people? How do we get more people to, to pre-arrange and pre-register with us? And the, the pre-arrangements, the pre-paids were just simple as can be because they would just send them in. We'd virtually take them to the, we had to take them to the bank. We couldn't use, a, use an insurance product at the time with the state of Minnesota laws. So we'd take them to a bank and they were $345 back then in the very early 80s, what we charged. And we took them in there and that was during the Carter years. And so that was, you know, the highest interest rate we ever got was 16.3% interest. So these things were just doubling and we were, you know, just going crazy at the time. So then the state of Minnesota required us to give back anything over than what our general priceless charge was. So we couldn't, so if, a, if one had gone $100 over, usually we, we, we'd just keep that. But then they said, no, we have to give that back. So we, we actually have given back more money to some folks. Now, this is, this is like in the early 90s, I'm saying, giving more money to some folks than what they paid us in, you know, just for a little period of time there when those interest rates were so high. You know, now reversing it now and what the interest rates are is just, just terrible for that. But um, and but we started putting money into insurance policies and, and had quite an insurance deal going. But we didn't, we, we always had an insurance company. We had an insurance, um, insurance agency ourselves, but we didn't have any um, agents. It was just people filling, we would fill out the forms, sign them and, and send them in. So we weren't paying any commission. It wasn't anybody's going out there doing anything. We would virtually take these things in the mail. We'd send in the money. And not, not call them up saying, you know, do you want to prepay this, this, and this? Just didn't have time. I mean, we'd, you know, without having agents do it. And then, you know, what we found was you take these agents, they sit there and tell people things that, that they can't promise. So we were, you know, just happy to have it the way we did. But it was fun because a lot of just serving families and a lot of uh, marketing. So we, we took the ideas that worked, the, the brochure. The rate of cremation was 6% at the time we, we started the Cremation Society. And now it's at... Uh, it's at 72.7, Canada's latest statistics just came out. And in Minnesota, it's expected to be 86.8 by, 1920, by 2032. Kevin, I think one of the things that you said that, that you understated, but I want to restate that's really important and a really good business approach that you had was to travel to other states that where you weren't competing 
finding the business models and the people executing those business models to pick their brains to bring back home. I think that was a brilliant idea. And was the marketing that you took home in those brochures, is that stuff that you got from Neptune on the West Coast and in Florida from visiting those folks? For example, even the color of our brochure came from Telephase. And it still is that today, a little brochure. We have a plain kind of a, a tannish, brownish brochure. Yeah. So we took that from Telephase and, 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 you know, and I guess, you know, you listen to these people and these people like Tom Weber from Telephase, this guy was a uh, engineer, uh, um, some electrical engineer or chemical engineer or something. He started up this thing because he couldn't find a cremation place for his dad when he died in Los Angeles. So when you look at, when you look at California and you look at all the people that moved out there, in that period of time, well, you, you know this better than anybody will, that, you know, all the people that moved out there during that period of time and didn't have any, you know, brothers and sisters out there or anything like that at all. They were, they didn't have the relationships in that. And so they were getting out there and, and not finding a place of cremation. So, so Tom started a crematory and, you know, these guys really had it tough because talk about hated. I mean, in California, they were, they changed laws and everything like that about what they could do. And, and they were just trying to trying to make it so it's a reasonable cremation for people. And uh, they were they were getting fought tooth and nail. And, and uh, so a lot of that stuff we looked at and said, is this going to happen to us? You know, are we going to be in the same situation? So I think actually he was one that we really learned a lot from. He, and then he said he said he was being interviewed by 60 Minutes and um, for the thing. So around Christmas time or New Year's of, um, of 1980, they came up with a uh, 60 Minutes to Destroy. Mike Wallace did it. And it was uh, changing of the people's values and their morals and the mores, he says. And then he talked about the cremation rate. He talked, he talked to Tom Weber. He talked to, um, uh, they called him Colonel Schinders. Um, I can't think of his name offhand. But anyhow, they, they talked to other people that were out there in the cremation business out there. And uh, the funny part about it is, is that Tom Weber didn't know when it was going to air. So my brother kept bugging 60 Minutes and finally found out the weekend it was going to air and called Tom and said, Hey, it's going to be on this weekend. He's well, how do you know that? And he says, he ended up getting to know the people at the, at CBS to find out about this stuff. But anyhow, it aired. We used it as a promotional thing. We used to have a booth at the Minnesota state fair and we had this thing on a, on a VHS and we, we took it and we put our brochure, all our brochures out and we had TVs there and it was just basically 60 minutes doing this interview thing. And it was really interesting because if we manned the booth, if we had somebody sitting there trying to hand out the brochures, you know, people wouldn't come in. But if they were just sitting there watching six, the guy from 60 Minutes, they'd go up there and they'd look at the brochure and, they, and they'd look at the 60 Minutes thing and watch it and, and, uh, and take it with them. And they actually stay there and stay focused for a few minutes while this was going on. But if we had somebody behind the booth, it would, it would, kill, the, it would kill it. So... And then it was really kind of funny, too, because Cana was always on about the same time the fair was. So my brother and I were always usually going to Cana. We'd set the thing up, but we'd have a couple of our people there manning. Well, it turned out one time we didn't have enough people to man it. So we had the people, the ladies at the sunglass booth on the other side of the hallway. And we put a big coaxial cable up and down, and they kept putting the new tape in all the time and rewinding it for us and made sure the brochures were out there. Well, the fair got mad because they wanted somebody in the booth, but uh, but it just goes to show you know, people were interested, but they didn't want to talk to you about it. Yeah, you know, they didn't yeah. want to be sold anything. It's an unreal. So, it's a real good experiment. Yeah, really good experiment. Yeah, it worked out well. And and the reason we started, we I know the reason we started the state fair is because the newspaper went on strike that time. At that time, so that what well, what can we do to get some of these some of these brochures out? And we you know you go to senior fairs and all that kind of stuff and get brochures out and and that. But uh, so you know. It was kind of funny. The first, the first thing we ever did, we went to a senior fair in St. Cloud, Minnesota, and we these brochures were just freshly printed, and we we put a brochure on every chair that was in the senior fair. We didn't have a a booth or anything like that because we couldn't get in there at all. But they let us put it, put this on the chair. We got home that day, and the phone rings, and we kind of the phone <laughs> rings kind of look at it like, well, who could that be, you know? And they yeah. had a question, and they, I remember their last name was Blow B L O W, and uh, they heard they and they they'd sent the whole thing, and it just it just got to roll like that. It just got yeah. to be have to be easy we'd go to a funeral records convention or something somebody said well how's this going ah you know we don't know it's, it's we're probably going to drop it you know and just kind of kept downplayed it yeah <laughs> but but um you know and going to things like that was tough i mean we'd go mm -hmm. to these uh, funeral records convention or a, a local convention and you'd have a guy that'll sit there and just chew your ass out right in front of everybody you know <laughs> yeah. to this day my my wife and my brother's wife have hardly been to any of those state conventions i have been to Cana. Yeah. national type things 
but never took them to a state because they want to put them through that kind of that kind of crap, you know. So that's funny. That was actually going to be one of my questions is because even today in 2023, there's this thought that, you know, there's two types of businesses, right? There's this direct cremation business that's ruining the industry or what have you. And then there's the traditional guys who, who view that. And I mean, you're talking about 80s, 90s. That must have been the backlash must have been even way worse. Try going to a mortuary school when you're in, when you're in the cremation business and half the guys in the class are, are funeral directors. It's really kind of funny though. One of the funeral directors is in my class. They, they used to give me a lot of crap about it, you know, in class and that. He's probably one of my best friends in funeral service now. So it's, it's really kind of come around that these people realize, Hey, yeah. these guys weren't any dummies. You know, they figured this thing out. They're doing 5,500 calls a year. You know, they're, it's working. So, yeah. and it was, it was, it was a lot of fun doing it. I think the, the interesting thing was, is that we really had to get the name recognition out there. Mm -hmm. For example, Ron Hass, the guy from had Abbott Hass Mortuary, had Mortuary Management Magazine. He used to think it was just crazy that we had these big facilities. And, and I mean big facilities, standard funeral homes. You know, the, uh, the 6,000 square feet was our first one. And that included all the living space. And we'd have these uh, buildings. And, and what was nice about it is we had places for memorial services. So we would, you know, not only do the cremation, we would do the memorial service. And I think, to be perfectly honest with you, I think that was the biggest, our best thing going for us. Because you ask somebody, do you know the Cremation Society of Minnesota? Yeah, I was there for I was there for a service one time. They can't tell you who it even was. They forgot the name of the person who they were there for. But they remember being there. They stepped across the threshold. They've heard our radio ads. They've seen our TV ads. So all that stuff just kind of kept going over and over and over again. And I think that being in, the, in these buildings... It was very important, especially back in those days, and, and realizing these are, these are nice facilities. We were one of the first people to have a reception room in Minneapolis because it was illegal at the time, but we just changed an address name and kind of played around with it and pressed the law a little bit on that one. But now it's legal all over the place. Kevin, you, you really touched on how you created a sustainable growing business and built it into a large business that, that really sustained its growth. And you talked a bit about kind of what made you different but if you had to pick a couple of things that you'd say set yourself apart from other folks doing the same thing what would you think that is and maybe after that what's one piece of business advice you'd give to an owner trying to do exactly what you did you could maybe distill it into a secret sauce <laughs> i would i would have to say that if you look at the cremation market itself and you look at the um you know, nowadays, everybody's doing it. You know, Johnson Funeral Home and Cremation Service. You know, then they didn't dare do anything like that at all. They didn't. They, even we had a real small little sign underneath our big sign that said Cremation Society Minnesota Office. You know, so we then, we were kind of scared of it too, even. And we were doing it. Let me tell you a story here. What really set me on this whole thing is we were doing a, um, a PR campaign where you know, we got a newspaper wrote a big article about us. And we were using it as a cemetery for the cremations at the time. Well, the guy that operates the crematory at the cemetery talked about, you know, boxes leaked and stuff like that, you know, had been totally off the wall stuff, you know, about, about cremation and, and that type of thing. And I thought, you know, this is, this is going to kill us, this whole thing. And we got tons of members in because of that article, you know, and I, I still to this day, you know, it scares me thinking about it. I remember going to the bank and in the bank lobby, I ran into a good friend of my parents and this guy told me, he says that uh, his boy, he says, I think you guys really, really kind of screwing this thing up, you know, screwing up your parents' business type thing, you know, with this cremation society. And it really kind of hit me hard. And it kind of almost gave me the pressure, you know, hey, I can't screw this thing up. You know, we got to get this thing right. And, um, you know, and that's what, that's what we felt. We've since cremated both him and his wife. And, you know, they wouldn't have been cremations back then, but they are, they, they were by the time they passed away. Wow. But um, another thing too is that, that uh, we used to buy our cars out of town about 50 miles away from a small dealer and he, he virtually showed us the invoice and going through the invoice on the, for the automobiles. And he had a, a marketing charge in there for the area. And I, well, what's this all about? He said, well, every car that we sell, we we put, you know, $200, $400 is toward marketing the next, you know, basically selling, trying to buy the, sell the next car, you know, mm -hmm. that goes into the commercials and all that stuff with GM. Well, I came back and Mark and I talked to him. I says, you know, that's a pretty smart idea. I said, we should take $200 a call and devote that totally to marketing for the next call. And we started doing that. And that's how we, I mean, one year, 
one of the last years we were we were spending over a million dollars a year in advertising and basically just kind of kept that formula going that mm-hmm. it had uh you know that, that we could do and it worked out well we just put a ton of money into advertising and, and we're disciplined to do it and it mm-hmm. certainly came back but the problem mm-hmm. is with a regular funeral home guy's got one or two chapels he puts money in advertising you don't see it right away it's not like some not like you're selling snow tires in 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 the, on the snowiest day of the year right. you just don't see the the results of it it takes a long time and so yeah. they'll pull back you know and just yeah. we'll, we'll just keep the church bulletins going and the yellow pages and the, that kind of stuff so i think what you said is so important about name recognition when you pour that into advertising and advertise in channels and concentrate on channels that really build that name recognition in your area. What you're really doing is digging a moat around your business in the long term so that it can insulate itself long in the medium and long term and all those dividends get paid back to you in, in spades as yep. time goes on. Because that, that word of mouth and name recognition is exponential in your immediate area. In that, we... we um one place we used to we go to is there was an author by the name of Trout and Reese, and they wrote a book to British positioning and market sense and and uh, branding and and uh, they were real big in that before it was even the branding part was ever ever that big the marketing and uh, we kind of followed a lot of what they you know they said they had done some stuff personally for Batesville and even said in their conference that the death care industry is a very low interest to no interest item and meaning by that I mean unless you're You've got a death, or you may know you're expecting a death. You really could care less. You know, right. look at all the tire ads you see in the newspaper and things like that. Well, unless you need tires, you could care less. You can't even look at them. Yeah. You know, so unless there's some reason to know it out there, so it's a tough thing to do. That that branding thing, you just got to keep that name out there. But yeah. not only the names out there, they may be going to a service in there. They've seen it in obituaries, and they're realizing that hey, these people are doing a lot of cremations. Now, in the meantime. We really didn't have any competition. My brother always said, these guys can just leave us alone for 15 years. Well, they let us alone for about 25, you know, before <laughs> before they really started coming on to us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. now we've got people out there doing it for a, a third less the price. And we're not, we're still keeping our market share. So yeah. that's the most. So <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Wait, yeah. before we, before we go on, and I know we all know right now in, on this podcast, who, how big Creation Society of Minnesota is, but could you maybe, give us the scale and size of what you guys actually were maybe at the time of your acquisition or even now? Well, at the time we sold them, we were doing about 5,500 calls a year. And um, basically out of five buildings, four in the metropolitan area here and one in the uh, one in Duluth, Minnesota, which is 150 miles up north. And basically we just got kind of, uh, we were driving up to Duluth all the time and, and actually going past Duluth, way in the very corner of the state called Grand Marais. And we would go up there, and I think what happened is up there, the, the funeral director that was in Grand Marais, somebody would say cremation to him, and I think his face would get all red and he'd get all pissed off, and they would call us, they, you know, then we'd call us back and say, hey, you know, we were just up there, we want you guys to take care of it now. You know, even though they, they would call and get our costs before and then find out what it was going to be. So we, we went up <laughs> went up to a funeral director's convention up there in, in Duluth one time, a Minnesota convention, my brother and myself. And uh, we knew nothing really about Duluth other than we'd been there, you know, smelt fishing and that type of stuff before. And it's kind of a tourist attraction from Minnesota. And we just wanted to see what all the funeral homes were. Well, in the meantime, we, we drive past this old Cron Auto building. It's 13,500 square feet. And it was a one-level building in Duluth. Everything's built on a hill. It was a one-level building. We thought this would be great. You know, no, no handicap problems, nothing like that at all. It was a pretty new building. And we called the, called the thing at the broker. So we did, we've really got it under contract and, uh, that was fine. In the meantime, my brother had taken a whole bunch of pictures, but by the time we got the call from the realtor back, we were walking into the, um, Duluth area thing. And my brother takes the film and the camera exposes the whole film and throws the thing out in, in the trash can and in, in at the convention center. <laughs> well, in August of that year, the guy calls us up and says, Hey, you know, that deal fell through and we got a, we got a really good deal on the building. And so we went up there. So that was our most remote location, 150 miles of a cremation society location. In the early 90s, we built a funeral home in, in uh, Bismarck, North Dakota with one of our employees who wanted to go up there and because everything was low in group up there. So we went up to, to Bismarck, built a funeral home. My brother and myself owned two thirds of it. He owned a third of it. And my brother and I, and I owned the property. We never planned on retiring with that building, but we sold it to him then probably, oh, maybe 10 years into it. And uh, it's very successful today. It's doing 300 and some calls and it came from scratch. And, uh, I always say, pick your own fights. And Bismarck had all the funeral homes were owned by the Canadian, were owned by Lowen at the time. 
And the people in Bismarck, you know, always were mad because the Canadians were screwing them on the wheat deals and all this kind of stuff. So it was a great, you know, we went up there to the only American-owned funeral home. When we open up and have our, have our uh, open house, we have our flag pulled outside, and the guy that raised the flag was the last uh, survivor of the, of the people who raised the flag at Iwo Jima, a guy by the name of Chuck Lindbergh. And uh, so we made, you know, did a lot of PR out of that and, and got a lot of people interested. And, and it just it worked out fine. It really worked out well. We followed that pretty closely, that whole Lowen thing, and, and knew we could we could go against it. We were one of the first people in the in the war room up at Lowen to uh, look at their properties when it was after they became available for sale. Mm-hmm. That was that was a lot of fun. That's totally different than this. So anyhow, then we built on. Um, we we had a guy in 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 Eau Claire, Wisconsin, that had a funeral proc funeral home, and he wanted to, part of the cremation. I wanted to do the cremation society thing, and so we said, you know, here's what you got to do with this, this, this. And, you know, he, but he says, no, I want to be partners with you guys. I don't want to do it alone. So we partnered up with him and did that for about 15, 20 years, ended up buying that whole funeral home and the cremation, his share of the cremation society. And so we had Wisconsin, Minnesota, and, and, uh, and North Dakota for a while. Yeah, it's but, brilliant. Yeah, it was. Wow. And the thing is, is that there was a period of time there where the money just rolling in. You didn't know what to do with it all. You know, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> and yeah. and it was, we were, we were doing well. I had great employees. We could go out and we could leave for you know a week if we needed to and and uh everything worked out fine so but i'd say the biggest lesson is the advertising yeah certainly the advertising and you know we used to have fun with that we'd we'd get a um a young person in there from the radio tv company and they would say well you know go out and talk to these people at the cremation society and and uh you know thinking that they're not going to do anything well we so they the, we want to tell them well here's what we want the new news and we want it every day of the every every day that it's on and he, you know, he writes it up that, that you know, according to his sheet, it's going to be one hundred and fifty thousand bucks. No, no. Here's what we'll do: we'll give you fifty thousand bucks, and we'll give it to you in a check right now. Put in a, in a self-addressed stamp, stamped envelope back to us. And he said, "Well," and we'd, he'd get, he'd take it back, and he's, "Well, my my sales manager is not going to go for this." Oh, plus you got to do it at the end of the month, and preferably the end of the quarter. So he said, yeah, "No, yeah. they're not they're not going to accept this thing." So I said, "Fine, if they don't." Just put it, put it, that's what we gave you the self-addressed stamped envelope, put it in the envelope, drop it in the mailbox. Don't even bother calling us. We don't care. But if you can do it, let us know. And so <laughs> sure enough, he, he'd call back on two hours later saying, I just can't believe this. You know, my sales manager. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we'd get our, and we, so we'd start out at a pretty reasonable rate. Yeah. And I think I ended up with such a good rapport with a lot of the, a lot of the people at this, at the news stations and stuff like that, 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 uh, the TV stations that, we end up getting pretty good rates all along, so nice. And had a had wow. a pretty good showing. The power of negotiation that that can't go understated. You know that no. that's that's a testament to your skill. Yeah, that, no, yeah. that money in money in hand is a powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yes, it is. Yes. And yes. quotas, yes. quotas, yes. Just put them yeah. against yeah. their quotas. Yep, that's exactly it. You know, yeah. Give it that yeah. So yeah, so I I feel like we can spend. I mean, I feel like you can write a book on how you grew this. I feel like the, everything you've said is. Not as traditional, but it's still super effective. And I think we can all yeah. see that. Um, but I do want to move into an area where other people may not have as much experience in dealing with. And I don't think it's a secret now, but you eventually sold the business to foundation partners. Mm-hmm. I don't know the details, but I have heard it's one of probably the large, larger sides of their acquisitions. And I would say that it definitely revealed some of the intentions that FPG has as a group in going into, you know, the high volume, the efficient cremation businesses. Mm-hmm. Could you maybe tell us what that was like from a business standpoint in, in them approaching you? And What happened was we started looking at it and at the time really wasn't planning on it. I was 58 years old. My brother was 68 years old at the time, 10 years older than me. We both had kids in it and started looking at, you know, you know, when is a good time to sell over the years, got to know Tom Johnson from, uh, Johnson Consulting, and uh, well before Johnson Consulting, even before Keystone and all that kind of stuff. But anyhow, and we so we talked to talked to them and thought, you know, let's get a you know kind of a feeling of what what we should be doing here. So we went out to Scottsdale and visited there, and and uh, actually had called and talked to uh, Steve um, Steve uh, not Tally Steve. Uh, anyhow, at, at SCI, I knew a few of those guys and went to SCI and, and talked to him there. You know, really, they Johnson's one who really negotiated the best part of it for us. And they just knew that these people really wanted it. They wanted something like that to help 
jumpstart them more into this thing too. They had bought quite a few funeral homes, but a lot of them were being bought from from SCI, and they were some very traditional funeral homes. Sure. And I think they were on the right track, and that's what kind of helped attract us to it too. Is they wanted to really get big into the cremation market. Yeah. So we we looked at that, and we with what they were doing with the cremation market, and and I thought, yeah, this would be a good a good fit. One thing I what, what attracted me with them is I wanted to be more part of it. Thought it'd be fun to be part of a bigger thing, and trying to take more of these concepts and take them on the road with them, you yeah. know, some of their places. But yeah. uh, you know, they have their own people and their own ideas, and and uh, you know, really, they didn't use me for what what I was using for. So I had a five year contract with them. It stayed a little longer than five years because they were building what they call a DCN, which is a decedent care network, which is a beautiful cremation facility and embalming facility and holding facility and, and all the space for our staff. And, um, you know, they got a 300 person cooler and, and just built a real nice thing. And I wanted to see that through. And uh, after that was all done, then I, I, I retired from that. So from them. But, um, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're centered on cremation. And I think that might have had a lot to do with what they, you know, they're willing to come up and, and, and certainly pay us more of a premium than anybody else was offering us at the time. Did you have expectations of your value or that premium going into that process? Or were you frankly surprised? Actually not. I think we were more more on the surprise level yeah. of what it could do. And it was a kind of a, a thing, you know, do we, do we want to do this or not? And then you sit there and you look at it and think, you know, why, why beat your head against the wall for the next few years? If I was going to stay with them five years, then they offered me a great contract. I had Right. I can't complain about that for the five years. And then I knew I'd be 63 at the end of that whole thing. So, you know, and, and that's exactly what happened. I, I just turned 64 this week. So I was just happy with it. You know, it's their place. I've never had any regret about it ever since. You know, because a lot of people worry about that. But, you know, I wasn't you know making removals anymore or doing anything like that, even though part of the stuff I love to do. So, right. Yeah. My favorite thing about the business was making house calls because you can't get closer to the time of death than you can at a house call and know what the situation was there and kind of get a feel of what, why did they call us versus, you know, you drive yeah. by four funeral homes on the way to get to their house. Right. You know, why didn't they call one of them? What what, what happened there? What was the difference? So yeah. I, used to, yeah. I used to, that used to be my little marketing class every day, but a house call. So Brilliant. yeah, yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, we're seeing a lot more of these acquisitions happen in death care from some pretty notable brands that have been around for quite a while, not just to FPG, but to some of the other bigger groups as well. Yeah. And I remember asking you, like, are you the happiest you've ever been since you sold? And your response was, well, I'm the richest I've ever been. (laughs) I thought that was pretty, (laughs) pretty hilarious. Um, Because I think what people don't realize is that when you do sell, a huge part of your professional and sometimes personal identity kind of goes with that, right? And it's kind of like your baby that you've grown from the beginning. And, you know, you've accomplished a lot. Were there any emotions that came up that you found yourself feeling that you didn't expect once you had to, like, let go of the business? I can't really honestly say so. I think that, um, you know, you look at the responsibility of that and the responsibility of all the people, and all of a sudden you lose that, you know, you lose that responsive I said responsibility, but I mean, you lose that pressure of, of, you know, is everybody happy? Is everything going good? Is, yeah. you know, it's something, it's something that somebody does in the middle of the night, you have no control over, you know, yeah. you know, what always bothered me is if we do a, a real well-known person, all of a sudden a picture of that person shows up, you know, so, or something of that nature. And we, we did everything we could to try to refrain from that. But, um, you know, if anything happened and we had good people, you know, I think very, very good people at the time. So, I wasn't worried about it. I felt, I felt we were turning it over at the right time. We knew every dime was there in pre-need. You know, everything was, was really well set up. You know, our numbers were good. They kept growing, growing, growing. You don't want to, you don't want to sell when you're going down, down, down. You want to sell when you're going up, 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 you know, and that's what they're looking at. Yeah. So we knew that was, that was the time. And then you sit there, like I said, 58 years old and you'll be 63 when this thing is done and, and you can do what you want to then. And so I was very, very, very pleased with that. And my brother was older than I am, and he was—he had a hard time, more of a hard time selling than I did. He didn't want to sell that bad. And uh, even looking back at it now, he's very, very happy we did. Yeah, happy we did. So, but there's a lot of responsibility in owning something like big that. Time. Yeah, you know? big time. It's a lot of so, pressure. It's yeah, a, and it's a unique business where you know you can wake up with a lot of serious problems, and it's it's a lot of right. pressure. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know. 
where are the rings? Where you know what's, yeah. what's wrong? Oh, type yeah. Thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's always the little <laughs> stuff too. It's never the oh yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Always little stupid stuff. So, but now you know, I've I've uh, I don't know if I mentioned this to you guys before, but I'm looking at the uh, in the world of leasing with crematories and, and leasing big items, and I've I've uh, explored that a lot, and I've talked to quite a few people on it, and and um, so I'm going to start working on that quite a bit, and uh, <laughs> you know. So we take these crematories and $300,000 for a crematory today. And these people don't want to go to their local banks. Don't know anything about it. So you can, you know, lease it to them. And, and at the end of five years, it's their crematory. And you made a little bit of money on the lease, the whole thing. So yep. I'm working on that project now. So <laughs> well, well, my next question was actually going to be, <laughs> you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, what you've done is aspirational, but it's been four to five years since you've sold. So what was your next thing? Because I know that, I know that you would be getting bored. You can't sit around and just, you know. Yeah, I, and I, relax. I've got a, a great office here in my in my home, and um, so it's, it's an easy thing to get, you know, to, to work out of. I can use uh, the DCN. They, they even named a room after me there at the DCN. So if I needed a place to go to, I could go there. But for some reason, I couldn't be here for any reason. But uh, uh, so it works out fine. I mean, I, I got places to run to. And, and then another thing, too, you just get to know so many people. Yeah, over the years, yeah. you know, you, you you buy a dozen crematories, you know, the people fix them, you know, the people sell them, you know, the whole nine yards on it. So it's a good network to have being a past president of Cana. And actually, when you look at a lot of the ideas we have, we took them from people we met at Cana. My brother and I used to do a seminar every year down in uh, Acamal, Mexico, which is south of, uh, south of Cancun, about 40 miles. And we'd have about 20 people there that are in the cremation business. And uh, I got to know a lot of those people through, through, uh, through Cana, and actually, they, they got to be known as the Mexican Mafia that we had. But it uh, it really worked out well. I mean, we had a great think tanks and people with cremation companies all around the country. People that we helped help start, you know, around the country. So, and it was it was it was it was great. We haven't done it now in you know five years since we've sold. But mm-hmm. uh, they're even bugging me trying to get the band back together again a little bit. So, but it, it's amazing when you put you know, and this is what this is what I kind of wish we would do. We've done more. With foundation partners put some of these you know you got john mcqueen you got uh mark Krause, you got myself you've got a lot of people you, like you uh, you know will you know yeah. let's put these people together and and have a have a think tank and, and you know what can we be doing you know i love so, i love this idea yeah we can, we can, <laughs> you know, I remember the first things i did with with foundation partners and they had this this girl calls up from florida and they were doing them for like six hundred dollars or something like that and I should only do one or two a month. And said, well, what, what should I do? I said, quit answering the phone and do something else. You know, <laughs> it's not going to work it that way. No. You know, no. so you got to look at it. And I think their, their uh, tulip cremation thing has got a lot of potential. Sure. You know, I, I wish I was involved more of that. I, I, that, that interests me. Um, yeah. I look at, I, I read a ton of stuff and just reading in the, um, in the business journal from the uh, NFDA today. And they're talking about how many, what percent of people want to want to do things online. You know, mm-hmm. so it's a changing time. We have to change, change to those, adapt to some of that stuff. And when yeah. they do it online, it's so much simpler, you know, than it was before. But still, we got to make sure we got everything right. Yeah. And that's what scares me yeah. about it. We're not seeing the people. We're not, you know, you can tell when somebody's lying right to your face or whatever, you know. So, but um, mm-hmm. all that's, in all, I think it, it, that's going to well, be a big thing in the future. I, th- I think so, so too. I think yeah. so too. And Kevin, think- if you need it. A- <laughs> if you need a software, I, I know one that you can do everything online with. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't um, take care of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, one of the cool things that I admire about you, Kevin, is that like I remember seeing you at probably one of my first Kanas, which was six, seven years ago. And then I remember when someone told me that you had sold... And then after that, I still saw you at every Kena. You're still showing up at all the talks. You're still going around talking to everyone. You're still learning. You sem- seem just as engaged from even before you sold, which is, I think, one of the biggest things that you can take away from this is that every step of the way, the way you describe it, it's never like, I knew that this was going to work and I did this. It was like, I tried this. I learned here. I, I got this from this person. I got this from this person and I applied it and it took off and it sounds like your whole career is just about learning yeah, and being open to trying new things. And the fun part about it is because of people like what you guys are doing and all the different publications and stuff out there. I mean, you can subscribe to every publication and funeral service costs probably 500 bucks a year. But I mean, it's, you know, for everything, you know, the, you read, 
Creedy's book and you read Jay Johnson's book and, and all that stuff is out there. There's more webinars today than ever before. I mean, I watched one earlier this afternoon. And uh, even though it's not stuff that even means that much to me, but it makes me more knowledgeable if I am talking to somebody who wants to know about that or has any feelings about that. But, um, you know, I'm not going to need a, it was about your, your, you know, the, the recommendations you send out and all that kind of stuff, the follow-ups and, and that. I'm not going to need that, but I mean, at least I know about it. And there's more of that today than ever before. So I think that, uh, you know, we've got, we've got the tools, use them, right. you, know, you use them to your advantage and, and see if they work. And, you know, if it wouldn't have been for, for some of these people, like I was talking about the, you know, going out and seeing years ago, I mean, and, and basically we were, we're eight blocks away from one of the biggest SCI firms and the, one of the very first ones we ever purchased back in 74. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for SCI. And I look at what they did. And again, you got to look at how, how, how do you do it differently? How do you do it right. better? You right. know, how and do you make was, it your own? How do you, do you make, make it your own? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I can't sit there and criticize SCI. They've done a hell of a job. You know, yeah. they, they certainly know what they're doing, but how do you work with that? And how do you work around there? You know, I remember going to a, a, a funeral home about a mile and a half away from us, remodeled a church and put a funeral home in there. And my brother and I went to the open house and kind of driving home feeling real defeated. How do we compete with that? Well, you just do, you yeah. know, you're, you're not them and you're not that, you know, you gotta, you gotta let the consumer know you're not. That, that's, you know, I always thought that way. You know, you, you find your competitor that is doing well, but they don't do what you do. And you take out a sheet of paper or a document and you write down everything that's different about what you do. And there's your market. Mm-hmm. That, that's, the, that's the foundation that you start with. That exercise alone gets you 80% of the way there. Then it's about yeah. getting the flyers done, the brochures done, and then you're there. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, what's, what's, what's funny today? It's easier for a person to get in business today than mm-hmm. ever before. Yeah. As long as you've got a place to hang your shingle on your license. Yeah. When my father got into the business, in 1955, he went a hundred days one time without a call. You know, 100 days. Now he was doing he was doing trade and bombing for people and things like that. But he went, he had a long time between calls. But you know, now today, a guy graduates from mortuary school, takes his test, gets all that stuff done, gets a gets a minivan, puts a tray in the back of the minivan, and uh, buys two cots. And you and go online to to uh, InstaWeb or, or whatever yeah. it is, and Wix. get a great yeah. brochure. Yep. Create a brochure and, and yeah, yep. and you know what it looks like. You're proofing it and everything. Yeah, take that brochure out. He, he goes out and puts a suit on. Goes to all these hospices, brings that brochure there, and then all of a sudden, when he's then then he gets a call. When he gets a call, he's got the cots and everything in the van. He goes on the call. Now, when yep. he doesn't have a call, he takes the cots out of the van, takes the tray out of the van, puts the seat up in the van, and puts the Uber sign on. You know, so he's got he's got income. He can do yeah. it. Yeah. He or she can do it, you know. Yep. So there's yep. there's so much potential out there for people to to get into the business. You know, the, the first call you get is the hardest one to get, but but you know, you go to these hospices and they they think you're a hero if you do something for for a reasonable price. Yeah, you know, of course. So yeah, yeah, it's easier today than it is then, especially since you have people like us talking right for free on the internet. We've dematerialized all this expertise for people to play, replay, rewind, fast forward through to take all the tidbits they can and apply it to their business. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, they, and 15 you know, years ago, 20 years ago, they couldn't just hear us talking like a fly on the wall and scribble down notes about applying these things to their business. And now they can. Yeah. That's exactly the truth. You know, they so much more info out there today. Yeah. So much more and good stuff. What do you think the biggest existential challenges facing death care providers or funeral homeowners are today it's what you're hearing everybody talking about is is the staffing i think that you know we have such a problem with uh and it's a, it's a whole different mindset than it was when you graduated mortuary school 40 years ago you knew you were going to be out all night long you knew they were going to you know it was going to be like that and you know years ago we used to get a call in the middle of the night you embalmed in the middle of the night you know now i hardly ever know anybody who does that but um so i think that what you see is that uh um you're going to have a harder time finding staff to do to do some of the nighttime stuff. And that's what brings the cost up. I don't understand how some of these people can actually run these businesses at such a low cost that they're doing. Because I think they're hurting themselves. They're hurting their, you know, they, they got to be paying the employees a good amount of money to do it. And the employees deserve a good amount of money because they're, they're, 
they're going out in the middle of the night. They're, they they got to be compensated properly for it. So I think what's going to happen is I think you're going to see wages go up. I think you're going to see um, more people having just uh, doing the nighttime stuff there. You know, they'll have regular shifts like that at some of these larger places. So I do think staffing is our, is our biggest problem So uh, coming up. The changing in what, what people are having for services. You know, I'm, I'm amazed at the number of people who are, are having something, at a, whether it be a golf course or, or whatever it happened to be. You know, and then there was a real rage on about five, ten years ago that we need to be more like um, a wedding planner type thing. And, you know, we, we talk about using the Holiday Inn and, the, and getting the catering and all that kind of stuff. Well, it was such a far reach. It's easy to say, but, you know, you're just not going to sit there and say, you know, well, you know, what kind of shrimp do you want this weekend at the, at the country club? You know, that part gets taken care of by the country club. It doesn't get taken care of by us. So it was, you know, it was a nice thought and nice way to, to have a service. But the people have to request that and have to have it on their own. So, got it. Do you see death care being able to rebound from that? I mean, we, I, for a while, I think it was how cheap can we go and how stripped down can the services be? Do you feel like there will be a rebound to a little bit more services and a higher cost before it kind of settles down? You know, I, I do. Um, and during COVID, I had a daughter get married and we won, we went to a couple of these wedding places. And they were getting $7,000 for an afternoon for a place. And I told her, Meredith, I mean, we're just giving this thing away in, in our, our chapels. You know, at six ninety five, we went up to $1,000 that next Monday. It's, it's crazy some of the charges that the, these other places do have. So I think what, what's, what does have to happen is we have to realize how do we in the long term compete. And we're not going to compete at six ninety five. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be doing it, but we just all we're doing is giving ourselves a job at six ninety five. But if we want to put that Devote that $200 a call for advertising. Or, you know, when you're younger, even you need to devote even more, you know, is a part of it. But after you get fully matured, you can put a cap on it on each one of them, how much you're looking at. So I think um, you're, you're definitely going to see, I don't think the prices are going to continue going down. I think you see areas where everybody races to the bottom. But, the, but you know, how they can afford to do that, they're, they're going to be out of business. But the problem is they get out of business, somebody else comes in and tries to do it, you know, right now. So it's kind of one chase is the other one. So I, I think that, um, that definitely the cost factor is going to, it's got to be more realistic. So, but that's happened on how many different industries because the internet, you know, the internet, you, yeah. you can get and find out all the different costs. And one thing I think that we've done with the internet is that with our name recognition, I really think that people come to our site and see it and they see the cost and they go, okay, that's reasonable. And then hopefully don't even go to another one. You know, don't, don't sit there and look at six, seven, eight of them. Because I think let's go to the cremation site in Minnesota first. It shows the four locations, you know, in the cities. So you you have it right there. But okay. so I yeah I, I agree, and you know I think that whole being able to dedicate X dollars to the next case and acquiring that next case is a really important figure that most people don't take into account. Right? They think okay, hard cost. This is going to cost me four or five hundred dollars. So if I sell it for seven hundred, then there's two hundred dollars. But that two hundred dollars needs to go back into getting the next one and the next one, right? Grades your budget. Yep, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so a, a question that we always ask all of our guests is because, I mean, everyone has different experiences. Everyone has seen different things. What do you think death care looks like in 10 years? I don't think it's going to look a whole lot different than it really does right now that it's starting to right now. I think you're going to see less and less of the organized religion type thing in there. I think you're going to see more, more, you know, people call them celebration of life or, you know, uh, some type of reception type thing, you know, where they're not going to be in a, it's not going to be in a church or, or that. I think we're going to see a little bit less of the church, church affiliations, but I do think you're going to still see some type of, of memorialization, which, which would be the party at the country club or a hotel or, you know, libraries even. I mean, I've never seen crazy things kind of all over the place saying, Hey, that's not a bad idea. You know, somebody's house. I think you're going to see too, that there's a lot of people, who, who die that don't have a whole lot of money either. And then they're just not going to, you know, probably do anything at all. And if they do, maybe something real, real low budget, and hopefully they can find something like that and do it. So hopefully that, that I don't think we're going to see the, when you look at the, at the cremation rate, once it hits 50%, it goes fast. Once it hits that, it goes, it goes slow to the next 50%, you know, so you, you've reached a half, but so now it's, it's less people to, less people to grab to get the next 50 so, like in Minnesota, what did I say? It was eighty nine percent was uh, was the rate that was projected by Kena, 
And um, in the next nine years or so. Yeah, in, in the next nine years. So I think, and if you look at those Canaan numbers, they're pretty spot on. It's amazing how I've been on that, that those committees with them before, and they got a, um, a statistician on there that has really been hitting the numbers very, very well. And what's funny too is that the funeral directors always looked at, well, we, you know, we did 19% last year. We'll, we'll do 20, 21% next year. And they look at that as 1%. No, that's a big, bigger number than 1% internally. That's a lot of cremations, yeah. you know, but they, yeah, they call it as one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah it's, it's, yeah. it's a lot more than what they had before. So I think with the, the all of a sudden this kind of hit them, you know, but it hit everybody. Look, it hit Batesville. It hit, I mean, look at all the people trying to get in the, in the thing. Like at the ICCFA convention, you hardly saw a casket, you know, mm-hmm. what you're seeing is more technical stuff like the, the software and, and um, printing and all that kind of stuff that, it's new out there that, that everybody really needs yeah. some type. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's actually um, the least different that we've had. We've had responses that are saying that it's going to be completely virtual and it's going to be way different. And, and yours is more on like the slow and steady. Well, I, and I, I yeah. <laughs> I think that, you know, there, there'll be some more virtual maybe, but I, th- mm-hmm. I still think it's more of a close to home type thing. You know, they'll have things close to home. They, you know, what's really amazing now is you see, you have a death and, and to have that memorial service three weeks away, you know, they, they don't do them right away, you know, cause they're waiting for, you know, Mike has to get in here from Oklahoma and Bill from New York. And, you know, it's, it's kind of all over the place. So I think that you're, it's not quick, quick, like it used to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It used to be week of or so next yeah. week or so. Yeah. Cool. Well, is there anything else? It sounds like, you know, you have new business ventures that you're exploring. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to, and and hopefully that'll that'll work out. And if anybody wants to lease a crematory, let me know. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, given your track record and your ability to execute, I'm sure that there's going to be a successful business at the end of that. Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, how how can people reach you? You can call my my cell phone at six one two seven four seven one three three three. Wow. Okay, just put it out there. <laughs> sure, I don't care less. So, all right. Well. Uh, thank you, Kevin. It's been a pleasure. And I think that this is one of the most educational ones we've had. I think your story is inspiring and aspirational. But for the Direct Cremation Podcast, I'm Tyler Yamasaki. Um, as always, with my co-host, Will DeMichaelis. Catch you next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you ever want to know more, please find us at directcremation.com. 